91.7 WVXU is proud to support this and other locally produced podcasts through its podcast network for an easy-to-navigate curated list of some of the best local and national podcasts. Visit Podcast Central at wvxu.org slash podcast central. Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 180 plus years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors, speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with more than 80,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati, and online at www.mercantilelibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. My name is Tim Guilfoyle, and I'm with Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers. Believe it or not, in Northern Kentucky, we have one of the largest fly fishing clubs in the United States. And we have with us today, Jen Ripple. Jen Ripple was our speaker for last night's Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers meeting. Jen is a professional fly angler. She's principal at Fly Square Media and publisher and editor-in-chief of Dunn Magazine and publisher, publisher of other outdoor magazines. She's a member of the board of directors of Fly Fishers International, formerly the Federation of Fly Fishers, and a member of the board of directors for the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. When on the water, when not on the water, she spends her time empowering women in fly fishing by teaching fly tying, fly casting clinics, speaking nationwide on issues regarding women in fly fishing, and devoting her time to, to conservation efforts through nonprofits. Jen has created a home base for women worldwide through Dunn to connect and engage in the art of fly fishing. Welcome, Jen. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you to Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers as well. Tell us a little bit about your fishing history before we start talking about your publishing history. Sure. So, well, I grew up on a small lake in Wisconsin, but I never fished. I was more like the type to go into dance class, and my brother and sister were anglers. Um, and then I moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I took a job at the Kellogg Eye Center. And when I was there, I took a fly tying class just randomly one winter. And uh, I fell in love with everything fly fishing from that point forward. So when the ice was off the river, on the Huron River that next spring, I s spent all the time I could in the river teaching myself to fish. And I fell in love with... Uh, casting and being in the water and with bass because it was a bass river and um, basically from that point forward it was a downward spiral that we all know that is fly fishing where it's such a black hole once you get involved you just never want to stop so it didn't take me long to quit my job at the University of Michigan and uh, move to Chicago move back to Chicago and um, found a Midwest magazine that I could write for and so I was writing a woman's column for that magazine and then looked around to see if I could find a woman's magazine to write for, and there wasn't one. So here we are. <laughs> so tell me about Dunn Magazine and what inspired you to start a magazine. Starting a magazine from scratch has got to be an enormous undertaking. 
Yeah, you know, I think I got really lucky because I didn't know how enormous that undertaking was going to be because I don't have a background in any kind of publishing or magazine or journalism or anything like that. So I just, um, you know, when I realized that there wasn't a magazine, that was June of 2013. And so it was September 2013 when we had our first magazine. So it didn't really take long. It just took someone doing it. I mean, you know, I looked around and when there wasn't one, I knew I was missing it. And if I was missing it, a lot of other women were as well. And so that was like the inspiration. And at this point, I'm such an avid angler that it just seemed natural. I would just want to open a magazine that would allow other women who didn't have a platform to tell their stories, to be able to tell their stories. So we at, at Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers, and by the way, you can find more about us at nkff.org, have uh, undertaken a concerted effort to get more women involved in fly fishing. And uh, Dunn Magazine, it seems to me, has become an inspiration uh, for women uh, throughout the United States. It's become quite well known. Uh, what's your perception of its perception hmm. or, or its reception? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I kind of, when I first started it, I have a, a good friend who was uh, the photographer under Reagan for the White House, and he was a Nat Geo photographer, and he said to me, before our first edition came out, he said, you know, Jen, it doesn't matter what they're saying as long as they're saying something, right? And I thought, well, that's really, that's been my best piece of advice, because along the way, I mean, you're always going to get someone who's going to say something that doesn't jive with what you're doing, but I knew uh, from the beginning when someone was telling me, you know, that's great, you'll have one magazine, but there's not enough women out there that fish, you know, so you'll never have another one. It didn't even bother me. I knew that they were wrong. And so, you know, I think, I thought that the perception of the magazine was going to be good. I thought the reception would be great because there wasn't anything like it out there. There's no other fly fish, woman's fly fishing magazine in existence. So I knew it would be good. I just didn't realize it was going to be this good. <laughs> So I've, I've recently learned, actually, that uh, literature is very important to the sport of fly fishing. As a matter of fact, there's more literature written around the sport of fly fishing than any other sport, um, be it a team sport or fishing or, or hunting or, or anything else. How do you go about finding writers, people who can contribute to the literature of fly fishing? Mm -hmm. Well, when I first started the magazine, I reached out to the people that had been my, um, the people that I had really admired in the sport that I didn't know. So people like Annette McLean, who is the engineer and the rod builder for Winston Rods, or like Pudge Kleinkoff, who's been a guide in Alaska for the last 30 years. Those were like my role models. I just thought these really strong, amazing women were really cool, and I wanted to tell their stories, or better yet, I wanted them to tell their own stories. And so I just reached out to everybody that I thought was kind of neat in the industry and thinking that if they didn't say yes, it was no big deal. I wasn't going to take that personally. And they all said yes. They all were excited to write for it. And then, at, so that was the early stages. So I'd say for about the first year or so at least, I would have to go out and search out authors. And I'd just write to everybody and just say, hey, I, I saw you on you know, social media or I heard about you. Would you be interested in writing an article for us? And they would say yes. And now, at this point, we have people that write to us all the time asking us for our submission guidelines or who submit stories to us. So at this point, we have a lot of material that's just coming in. I love that people just feel that we're so, um, you know, able, they're so able to connect with us that they can just send their stories in without really thinking twice about it. 
And do you have a particular focus in Dunn? That is, do you focus on fiction, nonfiction, how-to stories? Mm -hmm. What's the breadth? Um, so for us, I love to tell the everyday angler story. So you're not going to see a lot of articles by professional fly anglers in our in our magazine. And I should mention that 99.9% of our authors are female. So that's a whole other issue where we like to tell the female angler story. But I would say that um, you know we like to empower women and men alike to get out on the water and pick up a fly rod any chance they get. And I think that you can empower more people when they see that the everyday person like themselves are out there doing it and telling their stories. So that's what, that's what our event is. We really like to tell the everyday female angler story. Do you, uh, have you had fiction published in the, uh, in the magazine? I have. Um, in fact, in our first magazine, we had Hank Patterson, who has been one of our only, you know, one of our very, very few male authors, write an article for us. And it was, I contacted him and I said, hey, would you write a spoof on having the perfect date on the river? And so he did. And so our magazine came out and I got an email from a woman and she said, this is the reason why women will never be taken serious in fly fishing. And I sent her an email back and I said, you know that this is a spoof, right? And she was like, Oh, <laughs> you know, so he basically did a whole thing about how you could, you know, bring him his perfect lunch and then, you know, set it up perfectly for him and put the fly on his fly rod for him and all that stuff. And then in the last line was, and then when he's passed out drunk on the side of the river, you can actually get some good fishing in. <laughs> so Dunn Magazine started out as an online publication, mm -hmm. digital only. What inspired you to transition it from an online publication to a print publication? So we started out um, digital only, and we were only going to be digital from the beginning because I'm very conservation-minded, and so the thought of printing a magazine, especially uh, this is five years ago, was just really odd at that time. I mean, everything was going to digital, everything was digital, and um, and to be real honest, it was, it was, a, good, it was a good business plan for us. Um, in the sense that I could reach a lot more people for a lot less money. Um, and then we just started hearing over and over and over people writing into us all the time, where can I buy your magazine? Where can I buy your magazine? Where can I buy your magazine? And I would say, it's free to read online. And they'd say, yeah, but I really want a paper copy in front of me. I want to be able to read it. I don't like the online thing. So after hearing that so long and then having the magazine grow from four digital editions to four digital editions with 300-page magazine to six digital editions, Finally, there was just so much content that I just said, you know, we're going to try the print magazine. And so that was last year we decided, well, we'll try it. And But it had to be, you know, because of my conservation-minded vent, I wanted it to be all eco-friendly paper and vegetable ink and all of that. And so I found a printer who actually specialized in that kind of printing and felt that it was a good time for us. So then we transitioned to print and our digital subscriber base and our already um, name recognition was really helpful in then selling our print magazine at that point. How, how do you go about finding people to write for you? Oh, I find them everywhere. So I find, I find the vast majority of people online. So on Instagram or on Facebook or I read about them online. But then the second biggest part of how I find people is I just meet so many people and, I, and they, they want to tell me their stories. And so when I talk to them and I hear that they have this great story, I say to them, well, why don't you write your story? That would be a really great story for you to tell 
other women. And, you know, because we're a very personable uh, magazine, we're not like a staunchy kind of, um, you know, hard to connect with kind of staff. Uh, people really want to tell their stories, and so they do. And I think, you know, when you hear the story about uh, a woman whose dad died and she was really close to him and she's a young woman and she's going through his stuff in the garage and she picks up his fly fishing gear and then she works her way through the grief process with a fly rod, well, that's not something that's just good for, you know, a, whim, a women, woman to write, uh, to listen to. That's good for anyone, you know. That connects with anyone who has lost someone and has had to work through the stages of grief. So, um, you know, when I hear those kind of stories, that's what I want to tell. The, the human interest, the real gut-wrenching, and the real, the real um, stories that make fly fishing more than just about catching a fish. So is, is fly fishing something new for women? Absolutely not. So the first book of fly fishing was written, and um, it was written by a woman who was a nun of noble birth. In, it was published in 1496. She happened to have been dead already by then. But it, it talks about, it's a teeny tiny little book called The Treatise of Fishing with an Angle. It talks about how to make a rod and how to make a line and how to dye lines for different you know, season. So if it's dark water to dye horsehair in a dark color, and if it's it's light water to dye horsehair in a light color, and how to tie flies, and how to be, you know, a, a good steward. I mean, all of that. So in 1496, first book written, written by a woman. And then the way we tie our streamers today, that's, that's attributed to a woman, Carrie Stevens. And so the way that we bait and switch for billfish, that's attributed to a woman. You know, the, we a lot of us have fished in the Keys for big tarpon, and and back in the day, right after World, right during World War II, there was a woman who took over her husband's guide service and was actually the first person to catch, you know, um, these the fish that we all go after right now, permit and bonefish, you know, to catch bonefish and permit on a fly, and and kept saltwater fishing in the Keys alive during World War II. So women have been a, around in this sport, and and I, I you know. I, as a woman, I thought we were new to the sport when I first started in the sport as well. And that's why I started doing this exhaustive history so that I would find out if we were indeed new to the sport. And when I found out that we had been here since the beginning, it gave me the foundation I needed to know that I belonged on the river and that I belonged in a fly shop. You know, it took all that intimidation of a, you know, so to speak, male-dominated sport away. I, I think most men if you ask them, would have absolutely no idea about women in, in fly fishing. Why is that, do you think? It seems that their history has been yeah, buried somewhere. It does kind of seem like that. I think it's for a couple reasons. I think it's, you know, mostly the fact that women aren't very showy. So, you know, for all these years we've been fishing because we love it, but we didn't feel the need to tell everybody about it, right? Whereas... Um, you know, the men in the field have been so prominent in it because they're just, they've just been more vocal. I think that's really what it is, more than anything else. Uh, so uh, we at, at Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers have undertaken a concerted effort, as I think I've said before, to recruit more women mm -hmm. into fly fishing. Uh, what would you say to, to women out there um, about the sport um, and it, it, is it something that you would encourage more women to get involved in? And if so, why? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, first of all, women make excellent anglers, excellent fly anglers. Um, it's just one of those sports where you don't have to be perfectly fit to do it. You don't have to be young to do it. Um, anybody, regardless of their skill level, level, can enjoy it. You don't even have to be particularly great at it. I mean, at all. You can go out there and cast a very short distance and be able to catch a fish on a fly rod. Um, this stigmata that kind of follows fly fishing, that it's really expensive and it's really hard to do, is just one that I hate because it's not true. And, um, and, and as far as women in the sport, you know, we're, we're, a more grace, we're more graceful of the two genders. I mean, that's, there's no other way to say it. And it's not, casting a fly rod is all about the finesse of the fly rod and the physics of the rod. It's not about strength. So women tend to make much better anglers in, in the fly industry than, you know, the vast majority of men out there. So it's a perfect sport for them. Plus, who doesn't want to go out someplace where it's beautiful and stand in a river where, you know, you see wildlife all around you and you can feel the water rush up against your legs and you can just be in this most beautiful setting doing something that's active outdoors. I just think it's the perfect sport for women. So what would you recommend to Northern Kentucky fly fishers and to others who might want to encourage more women to get involved in the sport? Yeah, I think that the way that you get more women involved in the sport is by having women's only classes. And, um, you know, so I kind of talked about this a little bit last night at Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers. But, you know, when you, it, it's a, still seen as a male-dominated sport. And so even though the men in your group for specifically, which is a very welcoming group, um, you know, you're not intimidating to people that are there, but as a sport, men are still intimidating. So if you have a woman's only class or a woman's fly casting class or a woman's fly tying class that's led by women and includes all women, you've taken all that intimidation away and you open the doors to have women who would not normally want to try because they'd be embarrassed or they would feel out of place come and enjoy the sport and learn more about it. I read uh, an article in the December 2017 issue of uh, the New York Times, uh, a rather prominent article on women in fly fishing, um, which uh, touted the, the, the way manufacturers are beginning to target women as a, as a growth market. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I say it's about time. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's funny that everywhere else they realize that women are a buying power, right? I mean, how many women's clothing stores do you have? How many women's shoe stores are there? How many brands of shoes do you have for women? And yet somehow, and even the hunting industry has recognized that, and somehow the fishing industry has been lagging behind. But I've seen a dramatic, in the five years I've had the magazine, I've seen a dramatic change in that. Manufacturers now realize that, wait, women fish, they fish in numbers, and they spend a lot of money doing it. And so there are a lot of really great clothes and gear and everything out there right now that's specifically for women. And that's a big thing too in getting more women involved. When you have gear that fits them and they're comfortable in their gear and it's they're not borrowing their dad's gear or their husband's gear, it makes a big difference. When you own your own fly rod and you have your own waders that fit you well and you have boots that fit you, you know, and you're comfortable in the water, it just makes for a better overall experience to begin with. So um, I was surprised to learn that there are over 6.5 million Americans uh, who fly fish. I didn't realize that the market was uh, that big, but only about 30% is it of women are actually involved in the support in the sport that I think came from the New York Times article. Or yeah, about that. I'd say it's a little bit higher than that, but. Um, 
Yeah, and you know, it's surprising but not surprising. So that's a lot of people. And that's a lot of women. And when you consider women in general and their lives, you know, a lot of women don't have the opportunity to get out as much as they'd like to or at all until their children, especially when they have children, until their children are older. They're so busy doing, um, you know, running to this activity and that activity and getting their kids homework done and cooking supper and all the other domestic things that women still do these days. And so that number is a huge number when you think about it, when you think about the women who are you know, younger than childbearing age and older than childbearing age, 30% of women in the fly fishing arena, that's a big number. Yeah, and I've heard it uh, uh, quoted by m many industry experts that it is, in fact, the fastest growing demographic, um, not only in fly fishing, uh, in fly fishing, but that market in fly fishing is also the fastest growing sporting market mm -hmm. overall. Mm -hmm. Is that your understanding? Yeah, it absolutely is the biggest growing demographic in the sport. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, as, as women get involved and as women get more active on social media and other women see women doing it, it just becomes easier for them to then engage in the sport or take up the sport or try the sport. And so it's kind of like a snowball effect that I think I've seen out there. And we've seen so many women get involved. I mean, even last night at your group, when I was speaking there, um, I had about five women come up to me and say, oh, I'm new to the sport and I'm new to this club and, and I love it and I've tried it and now I'm so addicted to it. And that's what it does. I mean, there's just something about this sport that is so addictive that when you start it and you get involved in it, it there's just no turning back. You just don't want to do anything else. You become obsessed. So at least one major manufacturer uh, has uh, committed uh, to achieve a goal of 50-50 by the year 2020, I believe. That is 50% of the market in fly fishing would be women by 2020. What do you think the major impediments to the achievement of that goal are? The impediments. Well, you know, I honestly, I don't see many, but if I do see any at all, it would be the old curmudgeons in our sport. Um, I, I'll give you a personal experience. I was asked to come and lead a woman's day at Cabela's outside of my hometown in Wisconsin. And this was about maybe uh, maybe four or five years ago. And so I was coming from Chicago at the time. I came in the day before the event because I had not had a lot of contact from the woman who I was corresponding with, and I wanted to know where I was supposed to be. And so I walked into the fly shop, and there was a guy behind the counter, and he was helping another guy tie a fly. And when he left, I happened to be there with my brother. The guy behind the counter looked at my brother and said, can I help you with something? And my brother said, no, but you can help her. And so I said, oh, I'm here. I'm, you know, Jen Ripple. I'm going to be teaching the women's class tomorrow. And uh, he was just not very nice. And when I left that, that room, I said, okay, thank you for all the information. I'll see you tomorrow. When I left, he turned to my brother and he said, I don't care if women fish. I just don't want them on my river. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, so that right there, the very small vocal minority is the only impediment that I see to women getting involved. And and to women growing in the sport. And I think that when I say that I don't really see much of an impediment, it's because that's such a small minority. They might be loud and vocal, but I think that the rest of the, the men in fly fishing are starting to recognize that kind of behavior as unacceptable and say to them, hey, knock it off already, you know? So I, I don't really think that, I think that what you're gonna see is instead of an impediment, you're gonna see a lot more 
clubs like your own welcoming women and wanting to get more women involved. I don't see that there's going to be a negative in the future. So let's get back to Dunn Magazine. Um, what kind of an impact do you think Dunn has had, is having, can have mm -hmm. on the growth of fly fishing for women? Mm -hmm. Well, I would like to think that we've had a significant impact so far on the growth of women. Um, since I've started this five years ago, I've seen a lot of women-centered manufacturers come out, women who are making um, fly rods just for women, clothing just for women. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff out there now, whereas it wasn't even available to women before. And I think that giving women that home base to tell their stories has just shown other women and manufacturers that there are a lot more of us involved in the sport than anyone thought to begin with. And um, I'd like to think that in the future, Dunn can continue to connect women and network women together and give them a place to tell their stories. That's my goal, I mean, and to just continue to grow this sport that we love. And, and how, uh, and, and what is your strategy for getting Dunn Magazine out there to a greater degree to women in this market? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think our strategy is just to be a very open and communicative magazine. You know, we love to connect with people who want to write with us. We love to connect with people who don't want to write with us. We love to just connect with people. And so um, we love to hear their stories. And I think my strategy is to reach out to the everyday angler to speak on fly fishing and get more people involved, as, as many people involved in the sport as we can, male or female and to teach the younger generation. You know, in our first, um, last year, we featured two young girls, Maxine McCormick, who is a accuracy casting champion, and then um, Stevie Kim Rubel, who is, has caught her grand slam. She's caught a tarpon, a permit, and a bonefish before she was 12 years old. I mean, these young girls that are coming up in the sport, that's where I see our strategy. That's where I see our future. So fly fishing... There's a, a perception out there that fly fishing uh, is a sport that targets trout <laughs> and that it's a highfalutin sport and it's expensive to get into uh, and it's expensive to do. How do you respond? You know, fly fishing can be as expensive or inexpensive as you want it to be, just like anything else. There are, you can pick up a package that's a rod reel in line right now for $159. I mean, that's not expensive. Or you can spend $1,000 on just a rod. So really, wherever your price point is, is how expensive it is. So the expensive part is totally untrue. Um, the fishing for trout I find kind of funny in that when I started to fish, I I started to fish for bass, and it was a couple of years before I even realized I was supposed to fish for trout, right? Um, so no, you can fish anywhere that there's water and it's legal to fish with a fly rod. Anything from panfish to tarpon to shark, you can fish for it with a fly rod. So all of those um, things that I think have been around for so long just because it used to be my grandfather's executive uh, white man sport where you'd fly into Alaska doesn't mean that that's really what the sport is or should stay as. Um, I've, I've heard it said that the, uh, that, that uh, actually, I think you were quoted as saying that the sport of fly fishing is, is empowering. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? 
I mean that, you know, fly fishing is more about catching, more than just catching fish. So I have seen fly fishing change lives, and people say to me, it's not brain surgery. No, it's not, but it's still just as life-changing. I've worked with groups like Casting for Recovery, where they take women who have had breast cancer out, and they pay for them to go out and do a fly fishing uh, weekend, where these women get to connect with other women who are going through the same thing, and find a way to work through their diagnosis and their treatment with a fly rod in hand. Or companies like Project Healing Waters that, you know, they take these vets, wounded vets out. And I've sat in classes where I've taught wounded vets who only have one arm or who are blind or have no legs to tie flies. And then we take them out and we put them in the river. And to see the weight of the world just lift off the shoulders of, of our these servants of ours when they catch their first fish on a fly rod, that's life-changing. Or a a group like the Mayfly Project, who takes out, you know, children that are in foster and orphan or foster care and orphanages, and they take them, these girls out and they put them on the rivers and they give them something else to think about than their terrible home lives. I mean, that's life changing. And yeah, it's not brain surgery, but it sure does the same thing. And I just love the fact that I can be involved in a sport that's so big at giving back. That's the thing I love the most about it. I'm going to sit here and, and, and agree with everything you said. I know we at Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers are very much involved in uh, casting for recovery, and there's actually some pretty good scientific evidence that uh, has demonstrated that the casting stroke actually helps strengthen and rebuild musculature that has been lost due to uh, 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 breast surgery, uh, and that... Uh, there have been dramatic improvements in mental health um, by veterans that have been involved with uh, ca uh, um, Project Healing Waters. And I know we at Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers are very heavily involved with Project Healing Waters and take disabled vets out, not only out fishing during the uh, spring, summer, and fall, but we also teach them how to tie flies uh, uh, during the winter months. So I, I, I would agree that is a, a very empowering part of the sport of fly fishing that really a lot of people uh, don't recognize. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, w what do you say t to women uh, out there who might be interested in getting in, uh, involved in the great outdoors but may not know anything about the sport of fly fishing? How do you introduce that? I'd say it, you don't have to know anything about it. In fact, if you come to it without any um, already having cast a fly rod, you probably have a lot less bad habits that we have to undo. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to know anything about it. And I say just do it. I mean, there are women's groups all over the United States now and internationally where you can look up online and find a, a woman's group or a, you know, Trot Unlimited group that's going to have women in it. And you can just get involved. Take one of their, take the Orvis 101 class. It's completely free to take that fly casting and fly tying um, that that fly fishing class, and it's like a four-hour class that it teaches you about knots, and it teaches you about flies, and it teaches you to cast. I mean, there's a lot of options out there for women, and I say if you've been thinking about this, this is something that's been on your bucket list or something that you want to do more of, I just say get online and approach women who are out there. Contact me. I will put you in contact with women in your area. All you have to do is send me an email or pop me a message on Instagram. You know, pop the magazine a message on Instagram. I'd be happy to connect you with other women in your area. They're, they're everywhere. And what, what is your website address? It's dunmagazine.com, and dun is spelled D-U-N. 
That's uh, the dun spelled that way is a part of uh, the cycle of a mayfly, and the mayfly happens to be the most instrumental, or I guess the most famous fly that we uh, go after that trout eat in the fly fishing uh, arena. So you live uh, in the land between the lakes area, between uh, Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley. And uh, we in Northern Kentucky are always looking for places to fish. And we're not, uh, at Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers, we're not an exclusive trout club. What recommendations might you have? Where should people in our neck of the woods be looking to fish that's not an eight-hour trip? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, you know, I, and you're asking me something that's outside of my, my spirit of expertise here. Um, I don't really know this area as well as I should. So, but I would say if you're going to fish, there's all kinds of ponds in your area. You could start by fishing the bluegill in your ponds or bass in your ponds. I mean, anywhere that there's water, a pond, a lake, I would bet that there's bass in there and there's definitely going to be bluegill in there. Start there, fish there. I mean, those those little guys save the day sometimes. There's also a lot of trout water. You could fish trout water in any, you know, the your trout rivers and streams around here. But I would say, I think the best place to fish is in your own backyard. That is the best part. I mean, you don't have to travel. You don't have to spend a whole bunch of money and time to get there. And there's fish that you can catch with a fly rod. It does not have to be trout. So you're only about a four or five hour drive from us. What about in, in, in your home base? Mm-hmm. What kind you of can, recommendations do you have? For, oh, I say you area? just, I say you just come on out and fish bass in Kentucky Lake. There's nothing like Talk it. Talk to there. us about Kentucky Lake. Yeah. So Kentucky Lake is actually the Tennessee river where they dammed it. And then they made Kentucky Lake. I'm not quite sure how that worked. You dam the Tennessee river and it becomes <laughs> Kentucky Lake, but <laughs> someone had some pull there. Um, and so I would say you come out there, we have great bass fishing, like really, really good bass fishing, giant bass, small mouth and large mouth. Um, there's chain pickerel out there. I would say if you're going to come out to Kentucky Lake, first of all, you'd want to send me an email and let me know what time of year you're coming so that I could give you a little bit closer uh, idea of what to use and what's working and what's not working. In the summer, we have a giant mayfly, mayfly hatch, or they call them willow flies. And um, th- these are massive bugs that the fish love to eat, and it's, it's hard not to catch a fish at that time of the year. Um, I would tell you to come dock your boat at either Paris Landing or at Gray's Landing um, and just go right in there. And just Your boat is right in there. You need to know the bottom of the water, I would say, because it's, it can be a dangerous water. The bottom is uneven. But there's great fishing right from shore as well. And, I mean, there's 200 miles of public land right there that you of shoreline that you can fish and explore. You can, you can hike it, you can, you can um, fish there, you can hunt there. There's all this beautiful land. I mean, land between the lakes is 180,000 acres of public land that's bordered on both sides by water. And so I would say if you want to come to that area, you're going to have a hard time trying to find a place where it's not going to be good fishing. So why are you a bass fisher? I mean, I, I, I've talked to you enough to know that bass is your passion. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, you know, bass is an aggressive fish. It's what I learned to fish for. Um, that's how I picked up a fly rod and taught myself to fish. So that is that fish holds a little, you know, a, a special place in my heart. But when you're bass fishing, um, a bass is, isn't as picky as a lot of the other fish. So, I mean, they can be a little hard to catch, but 
the vast majority of time, it's because you're not getting the fly where they are. If you get a fly in front of a bass enough times, the bass is going to be aggressive enough to, to go after that that fly. And the best part about a bass, though, is it's not like, and I said this last night, you know what, don't be offended all you trout anglers out there, but it's not like catching a trout. So when you catch a trout, a trout goes, oh, I'm caught. Okay, I guess I'll come in. You know, and a bass goes, I'm caught. Oh, heck no, I'm not coming in, right? So they're going to be an aggressive fighter. They're they're big. They love to eat flies. They're, they give up, put up a good fight, and uh, they're beautiful. They really are. So, I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm passionate about catching bass. I can tell, <laughs> yes. So you've talked about massive largemouth and smallmouth bass. What do you mean massive? How big? Oh, over 20 inches, easily over 20 inches. And I know that, like, the competitive bass anglers will go by pounds. I'm terrible at judging weight. I mean, I still think I weigh 100 pounds, you know. So, <laughs> but um, but uh, size, easily over 20 inches, uh, much bigger than that, just these and they're big and fat and strong, and they have these giant mouths that you could stick your fist in. And if you wanted to, don't do that, though, because that's bad to the fish. But, you know, I mean, you could if you wanted to, but just these really big footballs that you pull up in the water, and, and you, you'd just be amazed. I mean, they're not like, like when you go out and you catch uh, a bass, say, in um, a, a stream or a river in the Chicagoland area, they're going to be nice, but if you get an 18-inch bass, that's a big bass. Well, an 18-inch is not going to be that big of a bass here in Kentucky Lake at all. In fact, if you catch that, you're going to probably move to a different pool so you can catch bigger fish. So I'd say if you want to look for some lunkers, I mean, there's a reason that the professional bass anglers win a million dollars in Kentucky Lake every year, and it's because the, the bass there are so big. It's that big a deal, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I know we in Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers, uh, encourage our, our members to take advantage of local ponds and lakes. We have uh, ponds and lakes in every county in northern Kentucky and throughout the greater Cincinnati area. Uh, the Ohio River is actually a pretty decent uh, fishery um, if you're not during flood season like we are <laughs> now. But there's lots and lots of opportunities for warm water species, um, and so you don't have to be a, a specific uh, trout fisher. Um, what other species do you like to fish for? Oh, I love saltwater fish. Talk to us. Mm. Well, I love tarpon. Um, so if I had to fish any kind of water, be it warm or cold or salt, I would fish salt any day of the week because a small fish in saltwater fights so much harder than even a big fish in freshwater. But to tarpon right now, I mean, I love a place, if you want a specific place, I'll give you my little secret place. Um, there's a place that's not known, well known of at all called Tabasco, Mexico. And it, this is a place that's a juvenile tarpon fishery, but you can catch tarpon that are, um, you know, tiny little six-inch tarpon all the way up to 100-pound tarpon in this, and there's just thousands of them boiling at the surface. So if you've, if you've always wanted to catch a tarpon, but you've been intimidated by catching a tarpon or thought that the Keys was the only place to catch a tarpon, um, this is your place. You know, the people of Tabasco are warm and inviting, and the food is fabulous, and the fishing is crazy. Like, you'll see just hundreds of tarpon boiling at the surface at any time of the day, and your biggest distraction is, like, you'll cast to one pad of one pot of tarpon, and then you see a bigger pod right next to you. So as you're stripping your line in, you're like, you're stripping it in really fast to cast to the bigger pot of tarpon, and then you hook a tarpon. So you have to land that one first before you can fish to the other pot of tarpon. So for me, I think there's just something about catching a tarpon. It's this prehistoric, 
beautiful fish that jumps out of the water so many times and will be just so aggravating because they'll spit the flies so many times and you'll break them off so many times. Um, but when you catch them and you get them in hand, they're just the most beautiful creatures. These giant eyes and giant mouth. Perfect. So you uh, fish for warm uh, water species and you fish for tropical fish um, and you publish a magazine uh, and you're very much involved in promoting the sport of fly fishing for women. It sounds like you're a pretty busy person. Take us through a few months of your life. What is, what's it like? <laughs> well, let's just go through the last few months. Um, I've been home, I think the most days in a row that I've been home since January 2nd have been four days in a row. And so I literally go from show season, which is, you know, almost all winter, from one fly fishing show to the next fly fishing show, where I do the women's showcases, to um, having a booth at other shows, big, big fishing shows that are not um, fly fishing related, where we put a fly rod in the hands of hundreds of conventional anglers every single day, um, to then trying to get a magazine out and contacting authors and everything that goes with that, to speaking at groups, and then to teaching fly casting and fly tying classes. So yeah, I, I have to, I always say as a joke, I need a secretary, but really seriously, I need a secretary. <laughs> So what's the slow time of the year for you? Summer, when it's beautiful outside. I think that's the best part of my job is that I travel and I get to see all of my friends and do all these really cool things even though I'm away from home during the winter when it's miserable out. But then when the summertime comes and the show season is over, uh, things quiet down and I actually get to do what I love the most and that's fish. So Dunn Magazine uh, is a... Uh, uh, magazine that is marketed to women, and it's written by women primarily, but I subscribe to Dunn Magazine, and I know a number of other men uh, do. Why should men read Dunn Magazine? Well, because first and foremost, it's a fly fishing magazine. You know, it just happens to be a fly fishing magazine that's written by women. Um, and if you want to fish in a beautiful place in Montana, well, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It that story is going to be re is relatable to you. If you want to fish in Oman for giant trevally and three-spot pompano and billfish, well, in yellow permit, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, and it doesn't matter if the woman owns Arabian fly fishing that's taking you out on the boat. Those are great places to fish regardless. And, you know, really, when you think about the sport of fly fishing, the fish don't know if you're a man or a woman. I mean, I had a guy say to me, and he's a very prominent fly angler, and he said to me, um, you know why women catch more fish than men do, right? And I said, no. And he said, well, because they have a certain pheromone that they emit that the fish like better. And I said, well, whatever helps you sleep at night. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not true. At least I don't think that's true. And if it was, I mean, well, good on us then, I guess. But, you know, for the most part, casting a fly rod does not need, men or women can do that the same, you know. Landing a fish, men and women do that the same. Uh, the places that we go to, men and women love that the same. The articles that we read about, you know, I think I think our stories resonate with the male angler as well as the female angler because these are not, you know, how to. Okay, take a woolly bugger, put it on the leader, you know, tip it, put it on the leader, put a leader on the line, put a line on the, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not that. This is a human interest kind of magazine that's a beautiful magazine that has beautiful photography in it, and I think that that appeals to everybody. Well, uh, do you have a final message that you'd like to give uh, the women around the marketplace of northern Kentucky fly fishers? 
Yeah. You know what? I would love to say that if you have been considering looking at fly fishing, that this is the group you want to go to. And not just because you brought me here today, but because I've been to so many different groups and your group is so welcoming and they're so easy to get along with. And everyone is so super nice that I would say if you have even been considering doing this, you should come out to Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers. Not only that, but they have a really great woman named Carrie who's leading their women's charge right now. And she's instrumental in getting women's only clinics together and women's only events. So if you are a woman who is out there considering getting into fly fishing or a man, you should start, you should come to Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers because they will welcome you with open arms. And I'd like to uh, thank you for coming uh, and being a part of this podcast and being a part of uh, Northern Kentucky, the family of Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers. I'd like to encourage people to take a look at Dunn Magazine. It is an important part of the literature of today's fly fishing, and I uh, commend you for your uh, efforts. It's just absolutely tremendous. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on The Twelfth Story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. If you like listening, tell your friends or tweet us at at MercantileLibe.com. That's M-E-R-C-A-N-T-I-L-E-L-I-B. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guest, Jen Ripple. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDimerd. Don't forget to visit us online at www.mercantilelibrary.com where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week.